Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Lord, we we come to you because so many times in life, you're all we have. So we come to you. In our celebrations and in our victories, we come to you. In our hurts and in our failures, we come to you. We ask you to speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today our passage will be in Acts 9.31, so you can go ahead and turn there. Acts 9.31, that'll be the launching point for today's uh, message. At the end of the service, after our invitation, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so if you did not get one of the little cups with the bread and the juice as you entered, I encourage you to do so. Um, uh, now would be a good time to go and stand up and go grab that if, if you uh, did not have the opportunity to get it the first time as you entered. If you're at home, this is a good time as well to, to uh, go grab whatever you can uh, in order to celebrate the Lord's Supper at your house with your church family online. We are in the midst of a sermon series called Not Ashamed. Uh, this is the fourth in a series of five sermons for the Not Ashamed series. Our first Sunday, three weeks ago, uh, the title was Not Ashamed of the Gospel for All. And we spoke of our theme verses, Romans 1, 16, and 17. And in that, we discussed how the gospel is for everyone, whether you are in Christ or not, whether you are a believer of Jesus or not, whether you follow him or not, the gospel is for you. It is for every one of us because we all need his grace. And if you're not a Christian, your response to the gospel is to receive it because not to receive it is to reject it and to reject God himself. If you are a believer, our response is to receive it as well every day because we all know we need God's grace, but it is also to live it and to share it with others. We talked about the concept of shame and how we pray that we will never regret our decision to follow Jesus. And we talked about how we pray that we would never be ashamed to be associated with Jesus and his church and the gospel. The second week, we talked about not ashamed, who's your one? We discussed the idea that whenever we hear sermons about sharing the gospel, God tends to put a picture of somebody in our mind, of somebody that we need to share with, somebody that we need to open up to, somebody that we need to build a relationship with. And who is that one? Who is that person? And we discussed ways that that you could begin reaching to your one about sharing the activity of God in your life, not being ashamed to share that, not being ashamed to share encouraging scriptures or scriptures that that uh, reveal truth with your one. Last week, we talked about not ashamed. What's your story? We talked about the idea of our personal testimonies. Uh, we used the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible to, to show how we all have a story We have a story of our life before we knew Jesus. We have a story in our life that explains how we met Jesus. 
And we have a story in our lives of how Jesus has transformed us now that we know him. We actually practiced it a little bit, and I'm so proud of you, church, for for practicing that with one another last week. And I pray and I hope that maybe you had a chance to share your story with your one or someone else this past week, even just your 15-second testimony. Today we'll be talking about not ashamed, what's God's story? What's God's story? So we're going to jump into our passage. This is Acts 9.31. Let's read together. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I want to break down this passage fairly quickly. First of all, as I read these verses, the the first thing that jumped out to me was the word or the phrase, the church. It's a reminder to us that even though we gather in a local body for worship, for teaching, for discipleship, encouragement, fellowship, and prayer, we are a part of a larger body, the church universal. It doesn't say the churches throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria. It says the church. And we belong to a worldwide group of people that God ordained and God uh, instituted as the church, his church. And it's a reminder that we are to work together as local churches, that we are to work together with the church in the advancement of the kingdom of God. The second thing that I noticed in this passage was that this church in Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And was being built up. Throughout history, we are aware of some of the greatest movements of rapid church planting, and they tend to occur in places where persecution has occurred. In fact, even in here in chapters seven and eight, we we know the church was dispersed and was scattered, and we we saw a rapid expansion of the church in the the verses that precede the one we read today. But something happens in between verse 30 and verse 31. Some period of time lapsed and the church went from experiencing persecution to having a moment in history of peace. But we also know that during this moment of peace, the church was being built up. So we, from this passage and from history, we know that the church, the kingdom of God, will expand because God will it. God wills it. And whether it is a time of persecution or a time of peace, his church will expand. The next thing I noticed about this passage is the word walking. The church was walking. What does this mean? Obviously, it wasn't a physical walk, but it was more of a symbolic journey. The church was on a journey, and within this journey, it was behaving in a certain manner. So when we say, I pray that you're walking with Jesus, it's this concept of 
you're on a journey with him and you are behaving in a certain manner. The next two things that I noticed just blew me away. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The church was walking in these two manners, in these two ways. They were walking in the fear of the Lord, in the discipline of the Lord, in the strong hand of the Lord, with the potential of His wrath to come down on them. The fear of the Lord. And in this fear, they would have had an awe and a respect for who, would, who God was and recognizing Him that He was God and they were not. They had a proper perspective of the mighty hand of God in their lives. And even though they were walking in this fear, I believe they also then at the same time had this ability to stand up and be courageous because they knew that they had a mighty God behind them and with them. They walked in the fear of the Lord. At the same time, in this fear of who this incredible God is, they walked in His comfort. In the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The helper. The encourager. The mediator. The one who prays on our behalf when we can't pray ourselves. The one who reminds us of the scriptures that we've learned and studied. The one who reminds us that God loves us and that we walk in his grace. So the church, the church walked in this fear of the Lord and in this comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it multiplied. When I say the number four, when I say four, what comes to mind? Golf? Some of you maybe golf. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's, I, I, when I golfed, I would yell that a lot. Actually, I probably I couldn't hit it that far. Nobody was in danger when I golfed. Um, what if I said the name Tob- Tobias Eaton? that name ring a bell? Any, any readers out here? Tobias Eaton. May or may not ring a bell. Veronica Roth is the author of a series of books called Divergent. And in this story, she explored a post-apocalyptic world where the people had been placed into factions, groups, according to their dominant characteristics. People were either selfless or brave or honest or intellectual, or peaceful. And they were only one of those things. Selfless, brave, honest, intellectual, or peaceful. In the three-book series, most of the story is told from a first-person perspective of the main character, whose name was Beatrice Pryor, or Triss. A few years after the final book in the series was released, Veronica Roth authored another book with the title of Four. In this companion volume, 
to Divergent, the reader learns of much of the story from the perspective of one of the main supporting characters. Four is his nickname, or Tobias, is the love interest of Triss, and he is the companion of her throughout the unfolding story. So she writes this book named Four from the perspective of the lead character's boyfriend. Last week, when I shared with you about what's your story, our story is really, we're we're the minor character. We are the minor character in God's story. So when you and I share our stories, if we do not include God's story, we're not telling the real story. So if we share only our stories, the gospel becomes about us. In reality, the gospel is about God. It begins with God. It ends with God. The story of history, which includes the mist of our lives, is ultimately and always about God and his glory. So who is this God whom we are both to fear and find comfort? What is his story? What is God's perspective of the gospel? Whatever it is, it is the story that we cannot be ashamed of. So what is the story of this God whom we both fear and find comfort? It's a story that you can share easily. It's a story that I'll explain today uh, in, in, in my version of God's story. It has five movements or five parts. So I'm going to name those five parts for you now and then we'll go back and talk about them. The five parts of God's story are creation and then rebellion and then promise and plan and then fulfillment and future. Creation, rebellion, a promise and a plan, fulfillment and future. So God's story begins in Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything seen and unseen, big and small, whether up and down, left or right, whether seen through a telescope or a microscope. He created it all. It was perfect and it was good. And of his chief creation of humanity, what did he call it? He didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. In Genesis 2, 7, Scripture says that the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. God is creator. The second part of God's story, rebellion. God experiences the rebellion of his creation. His very own creation rejected him. There's a lot of verses that we could look at in Genesis 3 to give us a description. I'm just going to go to verse 7. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Adam and Eve 
realized that they were sinful and they tried to cover their sin. This story in Genesis 3 is a very real, very real and symbolic story of God's chief creation not being content with being made in his image, but wanting to be God. So they chose to take the one action prohibited from them. Romans 3.23 tells us that all of God's pinnacle creation, all of humanity, rebels against him. So in this story of God, he exists and he creates. He breathes life into that creation. And then he experiences the rejection and the rebellion of his creation. But the third movement in God's story is that God had a promise. God had a plan. From the beginning of time, God knew this would happen. And he had a plan of restoration for that which was fallen or broken. Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15 say this. Well, it's in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, we have this hint, this first hint of the Messiah. Let's read it. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In these little verses, we see the very first glimpse of the gospel. That God will provide somebody from Adam and Eve's offspring that would take care of the serpent. We also see this in the story of uh, Abraham in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 22. That story comes to a head with the sacrifice of Isaac, his son. As Abraham was obedient to the Lord, this is how God responds to him. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. This is Genesis 22:15 and some verses following. And he said... By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God had a plan and God had a promise. A promise to restore all things. And he did just that. Through a line from Abraham that goes through Ruth and David, God enacted his plan by sending someone as the Savior. And who did God send? Who did God decide to send but himself? God was the creator. He experienced the rebellion of that creation. And he had a plan and a promise to his creation. And he himself is that promise and is that plan. In John 1.14, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God lived among us. Jesus lived among us. As a human, God never rebelled against himself. As a human, God never caused an offense 
against himself. As a human, God never sinned. Yet in the Gospels, we see the story. We see in chapters of the Bible like Luke 22, where Jesus shares with his disciples a final meal. At that meal, he shares the bread, he shares the wine with his friends and explains the symbolism that the bread is like his body that will be broken, that the wine is like the blood that will be spilt. And at that meal is his betrayer, who at that moment begins the process that will lead to the execution of God. God was murdered. That's a part of his story. God was slaughtered. God was sacrificed by his creation. And in being so treated, though, and in his perfection, Jesus was enveloped by his own wrath, receiving the punishment that his creation deserved. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus experienced that death on our behalf. But you know God's story does not end there. In his power, he rose himself from that wrath, from the death, from the punishment. (coughs) And he was resurrected back to life. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus defeated both sin and death. God himself provided the means for reconciliation between his perfect self and his broken creation. In verses 54 to 57 of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God is creator. His creation rebelled. But he had a promise and a plan, and he fulfilled that promise and that plan through himself, through Jesus. And the last bit of God's story is God has a future. God has a future. God has continued to create with the creation of the church. And we, the church, are to be the heralds of God's story as revealed in the Bible. So that as the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We cannot be ashamed of God's story. (coughs) Did you know that the proclamation of God's story will continue until the end of days? And one day God's story will be like this. I've read these verses many times in this church. Romans, oh excuse me, Revelation 7 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped the God saying, Amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know God's story. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know God's story. You know His creation. You know about the rebellion. You know about His plan and His promise. You know how He fulfilled it. And you know the future of the story. So don't be ashamed to share it. We cannot be ashamed to share it. You can tell His story to your one. Who is your one? With that person, you can share this God whom we both fear and find comfort. You can share his story. Are you willing? Are you willing to do that? Because you are able. Are you willing? Next week, we will be having a call to decision for those who need to follow Christ. We have it every week, but next week will be a bit more intense. If you've been working with a one and you've been praying for a one and you know who God wants you to open up to, this is a good week to do it if you haven't started. Keep praying for them. Share bits of your life. Share bits of God's activity of your, in your life. Share some scripture with them. Share a little bit of your story. Share a bit of God's story. And invite them to church. Next week. Let's have a bit few more people in here next week. Because a bit of us, a few of us, or many of us will have invited someone to come with us. And they'll hear the gospel and have a great opportunity to respond to it. In a moment, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Between now and then, our, my encouragement to you is as, as we sing the invitation is also have a moment of reflection and prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. Prepare your heart and prepare your mind. Confess your sins and receive the grace that God gives Lord, uh, we thank you for your story because the gospel, <clears throat> the gospel is your story. So may we never be afraid to share it, to live it, to walk in it as we walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Is our time of invitation. You've heard my encouragement to you already for you to speak with the Lord, to reflect on the Lord, and to prepare for the Lord's Supper. And if you need to speak with someone this morning, or if you're feeling compelled this morning, I need Jesus right now. I don't want to wait. I'll be happy to receive you, to listen to you. And I'll hand you to another gentleman 
or lady in our church who will help discuss these things in a little more deeply. So that's our invitation this morning, church. Let's stand together. If you would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.